Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's November 9th, 1906, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Having US presidents zipping around the world on Air Force One may seem immensely commonplace these days, but for the first hundred or so years of US history, the so-called ironclad custom was that presidents didn't travel abroad at all. So when Theodore Roosevelt changed all that on this day in 1906 by travelling to Panama to check the progress of the Panama Canal, it ushered in not only a new era of presidential diplomacy, but also possibly showmanship. And I was really surprised looking into this that I had assumed that the reason that US presidents hadn't travelled abroad previously was just because, you know, the the time and the distance and the communication. Yeah, they hadn't invented planes yet. Yeah, it just made it mm. impractical. <laughs> but it, it turns out that it was actually kind of a taboo. There was this idea that the, the right place for a US president to be visiting was America, you know, travelling around the country, talking to the people and not gadding around in Europe, possibly getting European notions and maybe even getting the US embroiled <laughs> in foreign wars. And also, they didn't want the US president to appear too much like a monarch. They didn't want a head of state who was going to arrive to fanfare with thousands of people and address them and so on. They wanted a kind of person of the people. Well, except that when Roosevelt went to Panama and Puerto Rico, actually, it was a two-pronged trip, this, uh, both of those countries he had real business with. This wasn't mm. just like a diplomatic soft soap, let's have a conversation <laughs> visit, was it? He was running <laughs> things there, basically, and had never been there. So Panama had been part of Colombia, but the nation of Panama was basically built so that the Americans could take over the construction of the Panama Canal from the French. The Americans had written the Panamanian constitution in advance of Panama existing. <laughs> he just made yeah. this offer to Puerto Rico that... Okay, it's not going to be a state of the USA, but Puerto Ricans can have American citizenship. So he sort of was visiting America, really. It was the biggest infrastructure project that an American president has ever undertaken. And Roosevelt was pretty unabashed about his involvement in the creation of the state of Panama to continue building the Panama Canal. He famously said, I took the canal zone and let Congress debate. And while the debate goes on, the canal does also. As far as he was concerned, it was anything goes to get the canal built, which to be fair is worth remembering that for the completion of the canal, if you wanted to go from one side of the US to the other by boat, you would either be going around the Bering Strait and the Arctic Sea, or you would be going all the way around South America, around Cape Horn and back up the other side. So this did represent an enormous leap forward. Yes, and for a long time, there had been ideas about putting a canal through Panama to facilitate this joining up of the Atlantic and the Pacific to make everyone's life much easier, uh, everyone being people who engaged in, in <laughs> sea craft. Yeah, well, yeah. White people, not the black people and the Indians that had to build the thing. I mean, thousands of them had already died helping the French. 
um, uh, who themselves had spent $287 million before they abandoned this project. I mean, it was hellish trying to build this thing in the middle of like a jungle with swamps and snakes and heat and smallpox and malaria and yellow fever. Yes, and it had been overseen by this guy, Ferdinand de Lesseps, who had worked on the Suez Canal and his uh, experiences there were seen as being significant enough to for him to be able to do another major canal project. But he had this really bad idea that he wanted to keep the whole thing at sea level, which just wasn't going to work with all of those things that you just mentioned, Ollie. And the topography itself of the place just meant that it was going to be very, very hard to build such a canal. And in the end, they had to sell the entire project, whatever infrastructure and clearing that they'd managed to do to the Americans in 1902. And credit to Roosevelt, he did want to try and ensure that these same disastrous mistakes weren't happening. He'd been dying to go down to Panama and see the canal in person because he did really see it as his personal undertaking. And when he eventually did get there, his visit included many very spontaneous tours. There's a theory among his biographers that he may have suffered from ADHD. He was very brilliant, but he was very impulsive and very spontaneous. Hmm. And he would do things like he would go to an employee mess hall and sit down and eat with all of the people who were building the canal and see what food they were being given. And one day he was meant to go to a hospital, but he randomly was like, no, I'm going to go two hours early. And they're like, but they won't be ready. And he's like, exactly. And he would just go around and do these things and talk to ordinary people, you know, the Caribbean laborers who are working on the canal. If you know anything about Roosevelt, he was a big imperialist and he definitely wasn't doing it for their personal welfare. Mm. But he did want to make sure that it was being done properly. And part of what he was addressing and the reason for his visit was that there were massive morale problems because so many people were dying, so many people were getting sick. And so you can imagine that that sort of spontaneous type of activity would have been helpful in morale terms if he turns up and has lunch with you in the mess hall. Not all that spontaneous, though, the big press stunt at the centre of it, was it? Which was a picture of him driving the boat. Right, sure. like with like what was it like a sort of steam it powered? A, it was a steam shovel, and he's sitting at the thing. controls of it. Yeah. yeah, in a pristine white suit. Like that's what you look like when you've been digging the Panama Canal. It's got very sort of Donald Trump in his Mack truck overtones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's what he had to come home with, wasn't it, for the American people? That was it. Like just that photo. I'm at the wheel. Ridiculous. Like he's obviously not at the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and this new concept of presidential trips abroad was quite slow to catch on initially. Roosevelt's successor, President Taft, he made one foreign trip in office. That was in 1909. He went to the Mexican border and kind of trod over it. In 1918, Woodrow Wilson became the first sitting president to visit Europe. He actually spent the best part of seven months in Europe overseeing the Paris Peace Conference at the end of World War I. And the most recent president who didn't leave the country while in office was Herbert Hoover, who was in office until 1933. It wasn't really until air travel that presidents were expected to leave the country at least once. And I suppose that's the interesting shift that has gone on in that very short kind of 20 to 30 year period, that from this kind of expectation that presidents must never leave the country, suddenly the expectation is very much the opposite, that it's a, an essential part of their duty to go around the world, pressing the flesh, doing that diplomatic mission that that up until that point they really hadn't been doing. That it's important as well to spell out what their domestic agenda is by pointing to who their international allies are. Trump went to Riyadh, didn't he, in Saudi Arabia as his first stop, where normally it would be Canada or Mexico. And Biden, mm. I think, pretty much in response to that. I mean, I know he had the invitation, but Biden's first port of call was England to go to a G7 summit in, in Cornwall. 
The country that George W. Bush went to the most was Russia, hmm. which is, is quite interesting because I, I suppose when you think about it, that is the moment where sort of after 9-11 and it was clear it wasn't the Russians. Whereas now, obviously, there's so much more reluctance about Biden going to Russia that many times. Yeah, it is weird that hostile uh, countries came to be on the circuit that US presidents undertook. And you think about like... I don't know, Trump again going to see North Koreans or... Obama um, went to Cuba, didn't he? Or Obama going to Cuba, yeah. That, that in a way, I suppose it's, it's a method of potentially resetting, almost as last resort, I suppose. It's our highest person speaking to your highest person. But in fairness, you're not always safe with your allies. As George H.W. Bush discovered in 1992, he had gone to Japan for a very friendly, very chummy visit that was all supposed to be about promoting US-Japanese economic cooperation. Should have been a very softball affair. Unfortunately, there was a state dinner held. George H.W. Bush started to feel somewhat unwell. You can watch it on camera. It's absolutely fascinating watching the video. You can see him sort of lolling. He kind of passed out, came to throwing up in the Japanese prime minister's lap while First Lady Barbara Bush presses a napkin to his face in what is definitely an attempt to stop him from vomiting on the Prime Minister's lap, not to make him feel any better. And that's on camera? Yes, and then he sort of of sinks slash is brought to the floor. Apparently, as he came to on the floor, he joked to his doctor, roll me under the table until the dinner's over. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't feed him that fugu poison fish, did they? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was literally just gastrointestinal. In Japan, it did spark a brief craze for the word Bushurusuru as a euphemism for vomiting. It means to do the bush thing, which is probably not the result Bush had been hoping from that visit. They must have watched that video on Japan's funniest home diplomacy. (laughs) (laughs) Next time it's steak and burgers. (laughs) Tomorrow. You can't just take the idea of divine things away from people's heads. Yeah. Au contraire, monsieur man. <laughs> Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> 